You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. It's a phenomenon known as deja vu. It's a phenomenon known as deja vu. You arrive at a place you've never been, but it feels familiar. You look into the face of a stranger and you feel like you've known her all your life. Have we met? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Deja vu is believed by many to be a trick of the mind. But the truth is far more extraordinary. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world but you knew they'd never believe you? I'd try. Doug, I've been put in charge of a newly formed investigative unit. I want you on the team. Why me? We've got some unique time constraints. He has been shown a secret. It's a brand new program. We can look anywhere. Four days in the past. The government doesn't want you to know. This is not surveillance. This is the actual past. Yes. They found a way to fold space back onto itself. Remember the blackout we had a few years back? Half the Northeast. You're saying you got 50 million homes? My bad. Wow. Thanksgiving, the key to stopping disaster. You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. Starts by unraveling the mystery of deja vu. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? I try. It's just a feeling. Go back and look again. Some might call it supplemental material, but it's so much more than that. It's the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, academics, critics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love to get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining us this week is Liam O'Donnell. He's returning to the show for his third installment in bonus features. If you'll remember, we originally talked to Liam about his work on the Skyline films, as well as his love for Big Trouble in Little China. This week, we're bringing him back because, like Martin and I, he's a giant Tony Scott freak. And he decided that he wanted to talk about Deja Vu, one of the most undervalued entries into the Tony Scott Denzel Washington canon. Now, enough from me. Here's Liam O'Donnell just diving into the deep end of the third movie in Tony Scott's Acid Trilogy, Deja Vu. Yeah, so uh, I actually had the Deja Vu Blu-ray and uh, and I never watch Blu-rays anymore, unlike you, 
everyone else. So I was like, my PS4 doesn't even, Blu-ray doesn't even work anymore because it's swallowed a disc and it's like impossible to get them out of a PS4. So I had to dust off the PS3 to watch Deja Vu. Nice. My, son, my son's like, what the fuck is this thing doing in? I can't, I'm like, all right, jeez. Okay. So anyway, long, long story short, it was, uh, it, it looked great. Even with the old, like first generation blue. It was uh, was good to see it again. Yeah, I watched it the same way because uh, I just had it on the shelf. And man, it's it's just a great looking movie. That that's been the most fun part about revisiting uh, his stuff for this episode and everything is that it's like all of them look so fucking good. Like they look so much better than what blockbusters look like now. Yes, can't believe it. I mean that. I, I mean the. Are, are we recording? Are we in? We're going on. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I mean the when I was rewatching it, I stopped and and started videotaping the screen at Denzel's intro scene because I was just like, oh my god, like it. It's such a flex in in uh in so many ways, and it's no dialogue for like two and a half minutes. And yeah. he just completely sets up that whole scene. And then you'll just see a frame come in where it's like three boats and two choppers crisscrossing in the water. And it's like, man, yeah, you definitely do not see that shit anymore. It's um, I, I, I thought about because you had messaged me uh, the, the night before or whatever. And we're like, oh, my God, the intro to this movie is incredible. Just visual storytelling. Yes. And so I kind of keyed in on it. Dude, they, you know, the first actual meaningful line of dialogue in this movie doesn't come until 10 minutes in. I actually checked the timeline uh, as I was watching it because that whole the boat explosion intro that that you, you kind of dropped in on. He's setting up. Uh, that terrorist attack with like the Beach Boys cue and the the dude looking into the, the the old Bronco and then finding the bomb and then it goes off and like the first meaningful line of dialogue because everything in in that sequence is almost just like almost like incidental sound like chatter and and, yes. and stuff and then the first meaningful di- line of dialogue comes at like nine minutes and 51 seconds. And it's Denzel picking up the phone and more or less just initiating the investigation. And it's sort of incredible because it, it's almost like, I know this is a very pretentious, ridiculous comparison, uh, but it reminded me of there will be blood to where I just sat there and it, it took me the longest time to be like, nobody's fucking said anything. In this now, obviously there will be blood. You're you're trapped with this guy more or less in a mine, and it's not all of this, uh, let's say, chaotic uh, activity on the ferry is going on, kind of like deja vu. But it just it struck me the same way to where like Tony Scott was like, yeah, you know, the first ten minutes it's just gonna be this this almost silent set piece. Yeah, and and that's that's a funny comparison because. Like there will be blood is so uh, even though, you know, P- PTA is he's a friggin' DP in his own right. But he is still he's such a he, I, I think of him as a writer director. You know, I think of him sure. as 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 very, 
you know, being specific on the page and, and the shots being very specifically designed. I don't, I actually haven't studied it up. I don't know if the guy does much coverage, but it never feels like he does, you know? No. Uh, and so the, the difference between the, the Tony Scott stuff, which is just like, it feels like they, I, I don't know if they're, if, uh, do they do storyboards? It does just feels like he comes in and he just muscles his way through all of this shit. And, 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 and I mean that in the highest compliment, like he's, he's basically, he's like feeling the motion of where it's going to work on the location working with the actor, getting Denzel's movements, it, it feels very on the day in, in a great way because they have so much, you know, muscle memory together that they, they can kind of pull these scenes together. But I, I don't know if for a fact of whether or not they, it's all quite exacting and rehearsed, but there's this organic feeling of him walking up and seeing all the aftermath and the dead people and kind of gasping and um you know the camera it goes into slow-mo it's moving slowly around him and then his povs are kind of moving in the same direction and it just pulls you in um in 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 a way that that does like lack pretension like he does he's doing auteur shit but he it, it it's just so strange how it's like kind of washes over you in a different way and um and and frankly that a lot of people can kind of just undervalue it i don't know it, it it's it i i i remember having difficulty understanding why some of my friends didn't love this movie at the time and i have even more trouble now when people say they don't like it i just i could maybe see back then um even then it seemed like wow this is really unique and uh and now when when you're coming back to it you can just uh, appreciate it on a whole nother level well, there's a good place to stop right there and just kind of back up for a minute and say, you know, we did an episode on true romance this week and I contacted you to come back on the show to talk about Tony Scott just because uh, you're just as big a fan as we are of his. Um, and like, why why did you pick Deja Vu to talk about? Because you pitched it to me. You're like, yeah, I just want to do this. And uh but I want to know your your reasoning for it because like he has so many movies that are just tremendous. Yeah, and I but there's so many that have such um, you know vocal supporters in our little film Twitter universe, and I never see people talk about this one. Sure. And uh, it, you know you you obviously there's a cult around True Romance or Man on Fire. I mean, even Last Boy Scout, which used to be, you know, maligned. It's like people worship that movie now. And, and Crimson Tide was a, was a hit, I believe, then. And it, it's kind of a perfect movie. Last time I checked. Uh, but, um, you know, Deja Vu was one of those at the time that um, it just uh, – I think I bought the DVD when it came out. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I bought the DVD, and then I, like, watched it all weekend. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed this because people were – so cold on it when when it came out no but i also think you know we could all we could get right into the the terrorism of it all i, I think that that you know might have been an issue um which is weird now going you know when bad things happen now we're like we just go right back to the movies but it was definitely different in 2001 and uh, that you know, 9/11 that has such a ha, had such a longer shadow than it feels like any 
any other tragedy that's uh, befallen uh, Western civilization since. Um, so yeah, I think I think that could have had it. But what I found about going back and visiting it was that it was so like cathartic, and it it really is about that like fever dream you have after something horrible happens, and you think about all the different circumstances that led to it and how just one little thing off here and there could have changed destiny. And so that it is that sort of wish fulfillment movie of that. Um, yeah. It, it's like the whole, like, what if Mark Wahlberg was actually on United 90? Well, we would <laughs> never, we'd never have infinite though. I mean, what would you do? <laughs> we'd never, you know, we definitely wouldn't have had Patriots day. That's for sure. Yeah. But, it would have been too close to home. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I totally get that too. Um, if who came out, I believe I was, if it's 2006, um, and Man on Fire is right before this one, actor, or am I flip-flopping that in my head? Uh, I believe, because I called him the, the <clears throat> this specific trilogy of movies that he made, hit more or less like his acid trilogy. Because it's when he really starts to uh, play with all the different film stocks and, and the, the uh, various setups and slow motion and camera speed and everything. But all at once and splice them together in a way that feels uh, almost hallucinatory. Like one of my favorite examples is the, the, uh, uh, the scene where PETA is, is, is captured in Man on Fire. Like right. there's no reason for that, that scene to be shot the way that it's shot. Like you watch it and it becomes, cause I remember it, it, that was when I was working at the movie theater at the time, that trailer played all the time. And the original trailer for man on fire was more or less just like her kidnapping. And like, it was almost like a short film just to like advertise man on fire and i remember even seeing it for the first time being like what the fuck is this movie like what's happening here and then domino uh might go too overboard with it and then deja vu to me is the movie that almost perfectly harnesses his uh his hallucin more hallucinatory tendencies especially for like you know, you have that crazy uh, Humvee chase where he's looking through time. I <laughs> love that. Fucking, I mean, that is so. Uh, 80, and 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 Denzel even says this is trippy, which I, I don't know yeah. why that's not a, a gif, um, but that that should be there. I also think to brace yourselves, you're about to witness a murder. Would yeah. Be very very useful <laughs> in Twitter discourse. Um, yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean. Um, I, I think Domino's one I have to revisit because it was definitely one of his that was uh, I was the most cold on. But I, I think I was more about, I, like you're saying, sometimes the advertising. I thought it was going to be like a Man on Fire like mission movie, like sure. okay, great, she's a she. We got a Karen Knightley's a bounty hunter, and it's going to be that sort of like she's got to go collect a bounty. And it was just way more of a montage, like you're saying, like acid trip, 
almost like uh, experiential, experimental slice of life that I don't really remember much about a plot. I like the Tom Waits scene, but <laughs> I don't I don't have like any plot that I can hold on to. So the, so when uh, when I you was, go in expecting something and then you get the other, you're like, oh, but now I should I should go back and revisit. I was super excited for Domino because I was a big uh, Richard Kelly fan at that right. point and since he had written you know and directed donnie darko and southland tales and everything and like i was like oh shit because to me in my you know again uh undergrad uh kind of galaxy brain it was almost like oh shit he he fucking made a movie with tarantino at one point what if like richard kelly is like the 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 next tarantino right. and you know that didn't happen but uh domino is i think kind of interesting it's it's the messiest of his movies uh maybe out of all of them i don't know that it's the worst i think pelham's maybe worse than it but it's it's towards the bottom for me um sure but deja vu uh is a movie that every time like i watched it this morning just to prep for this and it's a movie that honestly rises in estimation every time I watch it kind of like you said where it's like holy shit why don't we talk about this movie like we talk about um you know Man on Fire or Crimson Tide or uh, Top Gun I I think it's certainly I love Top Gun I think it's certainly a a better movie than that but it's just it should be in that that conversation but I don't I don't know if the terrorism thing I don't know if I'm on that same wavelength in terms of maybe we, we weren't ready for it, but I don't know. Just, I, I'm just saying like maybe that that kind of um, I don't know that that dropped it in the estimation originally. But I also I, think it was that, you know, that it's 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 a thing that I've run up in in my career and, and I've heard different like market testing people talk about it and they talk about genre mashing and how, you know, when you mash certain genres, it can mess up certain audiences expectations it's a little bit like we're talking about the domino thing it was like oh you're 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 selling me an action movie with uh a bounty hunter when when i hear the word bounty hunter i think i'm getting like we have to get this guy and collect a bounty and and that's going to be some sort of a mission thing so you know when when you kind of have this terrorism plot and you have um the surveillance thing and you're selling it that way. I, I, I do remember the trailers were kind of vague about what, you know, how how sci-fi it was really going to get. And so I do think it is certain people just, you know, are open to it. And certain people are like, ah, you know, you, you, you've, you've put sci-fi in my, in my action thriller and then they, they don't respond, but certainly not me. Um, but, but I've, I've run up against the, that sort of thinking uh, quite a bit. Sure. I also wonder if it bumped up against like if this was almost like the moment in a weird way. And it sucks because this is, as we're talking about, maybe one of uh, Tony Scott's more undervalued films is that he made this great movie, maybe right when they were starting to go fully out of vogue. Because, I mean, 2006 is the same year that Iron Man comes out, right? No, it's it's, 2008. Is that eight? So like maybe this is like a a bridge movie because if you're in 06 and this is just when audiences just aren't as into them anymore, maybe people were tired of the Bruckheimer thing. 
I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about, but also shitty because this movie probably deserves better. Um, because out of the Denzel uh, collaborations, this is one of the more fun ones. Like he's really having a ball in it. He is. He is. And and um, yeah, I was just looking up the what the other big movies of 2006 were and inside man is one of them so maybe that was another factor you know you have denzel with two big movies that year um but yeah it is and and of course undisputed 2 came out in 2006 so there's only enough room for for all of these uh okay 300's the big action movie from 2006 so yeah maybe you're right about that that is that in uh casino royale are kind of the ones that uh that are popping on this list to me. It's like, yeah, I could see that. Um, but yeah, I, I also felt like there, yeah, there's a little bit of maybe Domino and, and it w- was too crazy. Man of fire was rising in estimation. And um, yeah, the Bruckheimer, I think the Bruckheimer is why, why you, you, you pointed out that this one's like more balanced. I, I just have the vibe that Bruckheimer would be like, can we uh, lose the, crazy stuff as much as he like that would be his one note um i think what's interesting about it though is that this is almost like three different movies like you can almost see it appealing to a couple different crowds at the same time because like the first i want to say almost 45 because they really don't introduce the sci-fi stuff until almost an hour in and the first 45 to 50 minutes are almost like a straight-up procedural. It's just yes. Denzel is this ATF agent who's called in after the ferry, a ferry's bombed in New Orleans, and he's piecing together, like, how it happened. And, like, it's really – having just rewatched Unstoppable, like, you can see that Tony Scott is really into, especially in this kind of later period of his career, because like there's all this fucking technical jargon that's just being tossed around about like bombs and like residue and shit. And you're like, it's the same way that like when you watch unstoppable, uh, everybody's just talking about train shit and like lines and like using all technical train jargon. You're like, I don't know what any of this means, but by the end of it, you're like, I think I, I could be a conductor. Now, like, watching Denzel in this, I'm like, oh, I know what Bob, like trace residue of, of resin blast looks like. Sure. Yeah. Like that sounds right. Right. Everyone's like throwing out the, yeah. The, the, oh, is it Alscon? And you're like, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It, oh, it could have only appeared on this bridge. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right, I guess. But like everybody else, I think what's cool about it is that it's a great, it's what it kind of points to one of the things I love about Tony Scott and particularly his collaborations with Denzel is that he just like understood that like if you put this stuff in a movie star's mouth, like people will believe it. And like he he could get these performances out of Denzel that are so uh, charismatic yet like kind of different with each film um but here he's just like he's doing the smartest guy in the room thing the entire time and it's it's so fucking awesome it's so awesome yeah that that was that was my takeaway this time too but he's just like okay all right you know whenever they're explaining him something that doesn't quite make sense he's like yeah and and you just see him like like anytime someone's lying to denzel it's like you just lean in 
I love seeing him process it and be like, you think you can fucking lie to me? And then, you know, eventually he'll, he'll get his moments. Um, and yeah, we, we were also talking about great Kilmer in it. And I think that, but th- that, I think that also comes from Denzel, right? You know, cause the reputation, uh, I haven't seen the documentary on Kilmer, but like the reputation, even at this, I think even especially at this time was a pretty difficult guy to work with. But when you have like this alpha dog, like Denzel on set, you know, I, I, I have a feeling it was a different dynamic. You know, when you have a number one that's like this type of guy, everybody comes in, you know, well, they, to they work on time. Up, uh, his character and, and Val Kilmer's character, they have a straight up like meet cute in this to where like right. Val meets him under the bridge. One, he's like, look, he's like, oh, can you give me a spot so he can like go like scrape the stuff up? And it's one of the, the better scenes of just like pure like kind of weird character acting there is you watch Val Kilmer just kind of be like, oh shit, this guy actually is legit like the entire time. And he, he has this little smirk <laughs> the entire time. But yeah, you're totally right. You're you're just watching like a like two guys who are like bona fide movie stars, uh kind of in the in the same frame. But it's the same way as like watching uh like I wonder because I think about Hackman and and Denzel and Crimson Tide, and it's like I, I wonder like who the alpha dog was there more or less because it's like Denzel has always had that reputation of like every set he steps onto it's like he's the shit you know but like I wonder it's the only movie I've ever watched and been like I wonder if Denzel was actually intimidated by working with Hackman just because Hackman was so legendary especially yeah know. I I think. I think that that's one where it where it would be up for debate, but also I'm pretty sure who ha- I, I Denzel's the lead. You know, he still has more yes. scenes in Hackman is but Hackman's the legend. So it's look, they, they're both like the pros. Like, I don't think there's either, either of them were in danger of like not behaving correctly. So that's always like. That's why when you have someone that's like got the the rumored, oh, this person's difficult to work with. One of the strategies is to hire someone that you know they really respect in a supporting role, sure, <laughs> so that they won't fuck about. Or you know, if they're in a oh, I'll bring them in on a supporting role because I've got someone at at the top of the call sheet that they're not going to fuck around with. Um, but those two guys, I just I don't think anyone was fucking around either way, you know. No, totally. And also Kilmer at this point, though, is in a weird spot in his career because isn't the the bigger movie right before this Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Or is that right after this? I always, again, mix up the timelines of these these kind of mid-2000s movies. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I want to say, is before this. Right? I believe it's right before. A year before. But I think it was – yeah. So, yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was 2005. Okay. So, like, because there's an interesting, weird one-two for Kilmer, because if he's, you know, because the big talk around Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, even when it came out, is that, like, you know, Kilmer has this reputation of I'm hard to work with. Downey obviously has his legendary, because this is pre-Iron Man, you know, he has this legendary reputation of, like, you know, not only hardcore drug use, but also being kind of weird to work with on set. But also you have Shane Black who has had, uh, and let's say, a very odd 
uh, spotted career here and there. So it's it's you have these three uh, dudes coming together to make this movie that actually turns out to be well, I think is now pretty widely considered a, a classic. Yeah, uh, you know, it's one of those ones that's like it, it pre it, it right now. It's like it's the perfect streaming release, but at the time, it, it, they didn't know what to do with those type of movies, right? So yeah. I mean, it's a better movie than than a direct to streamer. I'm not saying that, but it kind of got dumped, and well, only the, only like one of like three people in the the theater for that one, just being like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it became sort of a like a. Uh, you know, a viral hit in, in a weird way where people would talk about it on message boards and comment sections. And, and it, 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 it definitely like did, you know, boost all of their careers and obviously none more than, than, than Downey, but it was like, it, 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 it did kind of, uh, it was a slow play in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, to kind of bring it back to Denzel, one of the cool things about Deja Vu I tweeted this early today. I hate saying that out loud. I tweeted this, uh, but it's like I, we I both did, tweeted about the movie, so we're, we're guilty. But I I noted well, I, I more or less did it to note while I was watching, so I could remember. But it's like it's I think it's one of the better usages of uh, Denzel's smartest guy in the room, uh, like cock of the walk persona, because he spends the first hour of this. Basically, like the first time he even walks into uh, like the 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 command center uh, for for the uh, ATF and FBI and local police are all kind of coming together. And he more or less is like telling a person like, oh, you're in charge. OK, cool. Where's the coffee pot? You know, like he manipulates <laughs> dudes and just kind of owns them the entire time. But then once he's thrown into this investigation like scott and the script is really really good at doing this too but they start putting him in above his, like over his head in scenarios where he can't quite figure out like what the fuck is going on around him like that silent investigation scene where he's going through uh her apartment and then he hears his own voice call him at the apartment it's such a great reaction moment because you're you. It's like the first sign of like, oh, wait, what's happening here? And then once he's thrown into the act and like Kilmer recruits him for the actual like Snow White project and the time travel stuff, then it's like watching a guy be like, wait, like all of a sudden I'm not the smartest dude ever here, and like he kind of freaks out over it. Agreed, agreed. I mean, we we were texting a little bit about this as we we're going that it, I just I think it's a great script and I, I really love the exposition is in these like incremental bites and right. uh, and Denzel like you said we lo you love knowing that he's being lied to but he thinks it's leading somewhere kind of completely different and then when it's like you 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 get into that big reveal and what did you say that God's mind is already made up about this. Yeah, it's just whew, it, it's uh, it's it's really, really great stuff. And, it, and, and that that's the stuff where I, I, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, they're they're going to do it. They're really doing something different here. And, um, and yeah, that 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 whole part, um, you know, where, where they're kind of turning the twist of the movie is to me where it, it transcends being like another surveillance movie another post 9-11 terrorism surveillance movie into actually being about, you know, 
like we were talking about it, it's like it, it it's almost like having a religious faith in surveillance in a weird way it's like like technology and they kind of even go into it like you're going to need some divine intervention like almost having you know being so wounded by this tragedy that happened to the nation that we're like longing for this magic tech to somehow go back and change things well i also think it's interesting because you noted something a couple days ago to me um about how this is almost like a real interesting companion piece of it with uh, enemy of the state uh where enemy of the state is this pre 9-11 movie that's downright prophetic in like a lot of different ways um with uh kind of the nsa and the surveillance state and well john voight becoming a right-wing hawk of the surveillance (laughs) is really bizarre in hindsight um but and then deja vu is almost like the post 9-11 take on tragedy because what i found kind of interesting thinking about your what you noted is that it's all about the technology and the nerds because um and by that i mean that what i found fascinating watching deja vu because i watched enemy of the state last week during uh, thanksgiving because what was cool is my parents came in and they stayed with me and my girlfriend and like I still had to plow through a bunch of these movies so we could talk about them. But it was awesome because I was like, oh, my God, my parents like Tony Scott movies. They took me to these fucking movies and I threw on Enemy of the State and they instantly were like, oh, yeah, this movie rules. Let's watch it. And like but watching it with them, they were even commenting the whole time like, wow, this is crazy that they made this like before 9-11 and before basically everything that our country has evolved into now. But the nerds. And the technology in it are kind of fascinating watching Deja Vu today because they're almost like the flip side of the record to each other. Because yes. in, in Enemy of the State, you spend so many time or so much time in, in these, these uh, surveillance vans with like Seth Green and Jack Black. And they're like they're using it to track our protagonist and basically haunt him the entire time and ruin his life. But to these, these nerds, there's almost like no morality about what they're doing. They're just applying the technology because they think it's cool, you know? And in deja vu, they're interacting with it in a way that they actually think is positive and can uh, maybe not change the future or they can at least solve this crime using it, but there's a philosophy behind it and how, uh, you know, like Adam Goldberg's character, they have these long dissertations between him and Denzel the entire time is that it becomes like, it's not about the technology, but how you actually view it and apply it and like almost uh, have like an ethos or or, or kind of moral uh, stance on it because it's, it's really kind of fascinating because all of a sudden, then, yeah, it gets into all the, the debates about, like, well, if you could change the past, are you even allowed to do that, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that was that was originally what, what struck me about it was that, you know, obviously an enemy of the state, the surveillance state, you're inside and, and, and they're kind of the bad guys, even though there's a lot of comic relief 
in in the comedians kind of riffing throughout the whole movie and he does that in both movies but then you know you go that's that's a pre-9-11 uh paranoia and distrust of government overreach and surveillance to then suddenly you know a few years after 9-11 and and you, you there's like a you know a, a religious faith in in surveillance which is kind of what consumed our country so it, it totally tracks and it makes sense and um and yeah i mean the, the, he's it's literally he's using the most invasive surveillance ever created to fall in love with a dead woman in the past yeah. <laughs> uh you, know, you you can't pitch it that way but that is a pitch um well, I mean, honestly there is elements of that in that it's almost in a weird way like tony scott's vertigo to where it's all about denzel becoming like the jimmy stewart character and falling in love with this woman that he's he's assigned more or less to save and then i then tony scott was like yeah you know i'll make vertigo but i'll have fucking time travels and then like hummer chases and shit so it's like i guess that's a shit. yeah i mean he gets a little familiar with her in her apartment it's just like you're asking for for trouble there he's just tossing yeah. out dresses that she should wear uh the blue and white one you're like hey man like I know we got 40 minutes until 500 people are killed, but like, you know, you're going to, you're, you're going to blow this cover. And of course it's a good twist um, either way, but yeah, it was definitely, I, I noticed that too. And um, even some, uh, I watched the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray and, and there's a couple extra stuff of him falling in love with her. And, and again, just, you know, it's like Tony, the, the, the camera obviously loves Denzel, but you can tell how much he loves Denzel too. And, capturing he gives him so many moments that aren't lines uh and just lets him be a star yeah well it's one of those things to where it's i wrote down i I wrote down like two pages of notes while i was watching this movie today but early on i just wrote in all caps and underlined it denzel looks good and (laughs) literally just wrote it because it's like but i thought about it and it's like, you know, they worked together, you know, they made five movies together. And I mean, I, I, uh, even on the, uh, the main episode, I will claim to this day that it's one of the greatest, like actor director pairings of all time. Like just in terms of pure, uh, commercial success or entertainment, like yes. it's tough to top it, but what's cool about it is that Denzel, you know, as you kind of noted earlier, is that, like, yeah, he's an actor's actor. Like, he's not just a movie star. He's, like, one of the greatest screen actors of all time. But, like, he is one of the greatest movie stars of all time. And one of the traits of being a movie star is knowing, like, the directors who make you look good on screen. And, like, I have to wonder... Or, like, at least posit that it's, like, Denzel knew that, like, Tony Scott was, like, oh, yeah. Like, I'll make you look like the greatest motherfucker who ever lived. Like every time. <laughs> and, like, that's, you know, but that's also why Tony Scott's so good with movie stars is that he, throughout his career, is that he knew that they, they there's that, that deep vanity that goes with being a performer 
uh, that you kind of have to play to if you're going to especially make movies on that level with that caliber of like uh, 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 presence, let's say. Yeah, I mean, and that, that that's uh, like why that that intro scene is so informative to me, because like if you looked at the script, I'm sure it's it was like, you know, an eighth of a page. It was like sure. he walks up, he spins around, he takes everything in and it, uh, you know, becomes a two minute long sequence because of what he's giving the movie star the space and uh, and kind of just letting him own the screen. And like you, you're just like, oh, this is a person of importance. But it is a perfect marriage. It's like you're saying, you can't just do that. You can't just do those camera moves and tell, uh, you know, a really great but not movie star actor to do it. it it'll it'll look good. It'll technically all work, but it, it won't have the alchemy that someone like Denzel brings to it. Oh, sure. Well, and here, this was one of the other things I wanted to ask you, uh, just as a guy who actually makes movies and understands uh, the technical side. Um, you know, one of the cool things that I liked about it is once we they actually go into the, the the Snow White project, so much of it is about these guys taking multiple cameras and piecing together the past to where they can more or less look peek into it for a very short window of time, but they're using this technology where they're 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 using multiple cameras to more or less create what they call as like a single shot or a single take where you can get in. Right. And it started having me wonder if it, it was kind of like a great metaphor for the way that Tony Scott made movies and that even Denzel used to call him nine camera Tony and that when you're watching them piece that together in that amazing sequence, um, where they go back in time for the first time and like they're looking through those monitors and, and piecing it all together. I wondered if that's not too far off from how Tony Scott uh, made movies, frankly, at least for that period of his life to where it was like, I'm going to set up nine, 10 cameras in like the craziest positions possible. And I'm going to get everything from like Denzel monologuing to like the guy flicking switches on the switchboard and I wondered, as a dude who makes movies, like if you if you could decode any of that. No, I, I saw you tweet that, and I thought it was a great point because it, it I was feeling something similar where it was like this is, you know, just a, again that like perfect marriage of director to material is that right. like no you know not a lot of people have a lot of people can shoot nine cameras, but they don't meld together and have this kind of singular eye to them and beauty. Um, so it's not just that like anyone can shoot with a lot of cameras. Anyone can shoot a lot of, of footage. Everyone can always keep the camera moving all the time. We've seen people try to rip off Tony Scott for, you know, 40 years now. It's not easy. Um, there is just a, a something that's special about his mind's eye and how he saw those different moving shots you know, piecing together. And it's something that, uh, frankly, I'm always in awe of, and I'm just trying to like soak it in whenever I'm watching his movies, because I like, like with the, the, the snow white, that whole sequence, he kind of had to make two different movies. You know, there's a movie within the movie here. You have 
all this footage of the control room and everybody watching this whole other movie. And so, yeah, I started to get like secondhand anxiety of like, there's just so much footage. It just, it just looked like it took so long to do every scene, every movement that she had. But I guess if you have a massive crew with all these cameras running, it's not quite as much time, but you know, you can only light one direction at a time and make it look great. And everything is lit great here. So I think some of that number of cameras is probably an exaggeration, um, and I think it does take time no matter what. But yeah, that 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 to me is like I'm just like it, it's a little bit of like how the fuck does he do it every time I'm watching him? Yeah, because Denzel almost felt like the the Tony stand-in to me of almost like I was imagining him like standing instead of being in front of this this bay of monitors showing him into the past, like almost being like the Tony Scott standing, standing in front of a bay of monitors with editors being like, okay, well you take that shot there and then you take that control room there. And then here we're going to piece that together and there's your scene. And it just, I don't know that it, it just felt like a weird way of decoding his, his creative process to one degree or the other. Um, I think you're absolutely it's, right. It's, it's a weird I don't know. It's one of those weird moments where you almost wonder if Tony Scott even thought that himself to where, or if he was just like, Oh, this is just a cool movie. You know? (laughs) No. Yeah. I, 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 I totally, I I totally had the same feeling of whether or not that, that was like a deliberate thing, but I have a feeling it it, it was because so much of, um, of the, you know, I, I think the script was probably really, really solid, but I felt like, it's so visual, like we said, and he kind of would see like, oh, this is how I can make, you know, my version of, you know, something like you were saying, like, it's like the, what was the other, oh, Vertigo, it's like Vertigo, the conversation, um, a time loop movie, and, and he he's, you know, you always want to bring as much of yourself to it, and so, yeah, he literally is kind of like, the Snow White is Tony Scott's mind's eye. It makes so much sense to me. And then, not to give you any more uh, anxiety, but then you apply that mentality to that Hummer chase. Like, I rewound that sequence three times because I was just like, this is insane. Like, just the sheer dis- like master of disaster aspect of it. Because, of course, it's a Tony Scott movie, so he has to crash at least like three or four cars along the way. And like, but the fact that Denzel's like driving against traffic, looking into the past while the, like the present is going on around him is just one of the, like just conceptually one of the crazier action sequences I've seen in a while. Yeah. That, that's what I remember struck me the most the first time I watched it too, is I was just like the, the actual idea of it is so genius. And then the execution to, to do it and, and actually be clear <laughs> like and you're you're yeah. never you're, you never get lost uh and you're you're very clear on the geography and everything that's happening is um yeah it, it is quite mind-blowing and even even at the very end they're like to the right to the right and you kind of learn start turning your head and he gets off oh go, everything about that sequence i think is 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 pretty mind-blowing yeah even like the comedic stuff which is one of the things that he's really great at because Tony Scott loves him a command center full of like kind of nerdy, funny dudes. Um, but like all the Adam Goldberg stuff is is really, really good in this. Like I actually think he improves 
on what he started uh, with uh, Enemy of the State. And even like the fan, like something like the fan, like where the, the, the DJ booth almost becomes the, the control center there and Jack Black's there again too. But it's like he had this one go at it with Enemy of the State and then he, he did it kind of better here. But maybe it's also just because the, the characters are a little more likable here. I think it's a great Adam Goldberg performance. Like you said, it's it's very it's it's similar to Kilmer in that like he's he still got his quirks in there and like you know uh, if you follow him in, in other movies he kind of does a thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and he you can see him kind of on the edge of it, but he never goes full Adam Goldberg. Like just like it never it never goes full Val Kilmer. Everyone kind of like uh, like keeps within their skill set. And uh, I think again, I think that's probably you know being in a scene with Denzel, you're you're just gonna be like you know follow his lead. Uh, and I think it it's like it's just a perfectly balanced performance for him. Um, yeah, I, th- a I think weird you know. moment though. I I totally forgot that Kilmer just leaves the movie. Like he's literally like, all right, bye. <laughs> Never I did comes too. Back. I, for for whatever reason in my mind, um, Kilmer was with him, and it wasn't Goldberg time. when I rewatched it. And I was like, "Oh wow, this is just this is just Goldberg and and Denzel." And I was, that felt like an ad lib when Dad, D- Denzel's in in the the little time tube, and he's like, "I'm beside myself." <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> but um, I will say when he goes back in time, that is when the movie loses a touch of steam for me um, because it kind of more or less becomes a straight up chase or action movie where he's hunting down a Jim Cavizio, which we haven't even gotten to him yet. Uh, He's like two for two in his surveillance movies where he nails a guy who wasn't MAGA, but would eventually become MAGA because (laughs) John Voight in fucking uh, enemy of the state and then jim Caviezel is just this fucking dude in real life now like that's well, the, that, that's that also true where i yes. was just like like because i don't know if you saw the footage of him at that like QAnon rally where he literally just does the speech from braveheart and you're watching it and you're like people are just like cheering and shit and you're like do they not did they didn't see braveheart i guess like that movie won the academy award that's fucking weird but like it's just crazy, like, watching it now, you know, 15 years uh, later and being like, damn, Tony Scott is – it was Tony Scott playing a joke on us the whole time? Like, you know that guy? He's going to he, turn out to be a real fucking asshole. So I – this is – I, I can go off on the Caviezel thing because I, I think probably you and I have the same thing where we were like, who is this dude in the thin red line? And we're huge Caviezel fans back then. Yeah. And I was like, always felt like he should have been in more stuff and didn't quite get why he didn't pop because, uh, you know, got a ton of charisma when he's on screen saying other people's lines and not, uh, you know, spouting out his own opinions. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember, you know, seeing this movie and, and being like, oh, man, he's so good in this scene. And then at the end of this great speech, Denzel kind of gives him this kind of lame prison rape joke about the KY. And I was like, oh, did Denzel not like him as an actor? Because it felt like some, it felt like something there. Like it didn't, he wouldn't even get down in the mud and engage with him in a weird way. 
And I was like, I, I thought that even at the time. And then I started hearing more and more stuff about, um, well, I think passion was before this, but you know, that he really took that seriously and was a super devout Catholic. And, and, you know, he started getting weirder and weirder. Um, and then, yeah, he, but he literally gives uh, a QAnon speech in this movie from 2006. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's kind of just how like John Voight is literally at, at one point being like, we have to like the whole bill that they're more or less like that. He assassinates Jason Robards over and everything is more or less the Patriot Act before 9-11. It's just like, yeah, we want to push this bill through that lets us, you know, more or less use surveillance to track quote unquote terrorists and shit. And you're like, oh, wow. This movie I do find interesting, though, to where Enemy of the State is more a post seventies uh, global paranoia. Like it's, it's especially with all the Harry call, uh, you know, callbacks and stuff with, with uh, Hackman and stuff is totally in, in line with like, don't trust the government. They're trying to more or less spy on you, but it's, it's a, a nationalistic thing. We're here. Uh, it's all about domestic terrorism and tragedy which I found interesting because they even link uh, Denzel's character to like his big claim to fame is working on Oklahoma city. And, you know, they go out of its way, you know, during like Bruce Greenwood's PR uh, uh, meeting or PR press conference in the beginning, you know, they even uh, say that the disaster is quote unquote worse than Katrina, which isn't, Terrorism, obviously, but they're very much keeping it like this is the 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 war and the disasters at home to, I guess, again, to your point, maybe hammer home like 9-11, but maybe not in the same way. It's just weird that it's like a movie about post 9-11 that's more interested in maybe Timothy McVeigh than Osama bin Laden. Well, I, it was written before 9-11, so it was well, like. Yeah, so it was written before, so that makes sense because when when is Oklahoma? It's like um, I want to say '97 or something like that. And uh, sounds right. Yeah, so so it was written before that, and then they they basically like set it aside. Um, okay. And and then I think it was after um, Pirates of the Caribbean, and you know had a little success it was like what else you got and they they pulled this one out and in uh in like 2004 and it said it says on wikipedia that the script was sold for five million dollars which is absolutely nuts um Terry yeah Rocco, man yeah there's a, dude, there's a dude who just like Baller. eats cereal bowls full of money <laughs> but, yeah um so that, yeah, I, I think I think that that makes sense in in, in that standpoint. But sure, I, I do think the the reason why it got made is also because of 9/11, because it is that sort of like, um, you know, what is the Dark Knight like 2008? Um, yeah. So it is that like we we were, you know, that you see the biggest movie two years later is literally ends with it being like please trust all your faith in the surveillance state. It will save you. So yeah. it's like there, that, that was something that was, you know, in the, in the zeitgeist after that, it was just like, everyone was, you're pushing away from it on some, you know, on, on some things and everyone else is kind of like, 
anything for this not to happen again what what can we do what can we use um so yeah i i i i definitely i was gonna clean up that caviezel thing that obviously not a huge fan of his anymore and there was a really funny uh summary that someone posted on twitter a while ago about all the dumb shit he does on his cbs show or did on his cbs show including that he had the worst possible ideas and didn't understand his character at all. Person of interest is what it was called. And every oh, I think I saw that list. Too. Yeah. There was some like real weird shit that he would do. But he he like was constantly pitching that his character was, should choke and murder someone to get information. <laughs> and it was like there it was totally at odds with who the character was. And he, they would say no to him every single day and then he would say I got it. You're going to love this. And he would pitch the same idea again. <laughs> and then they'd say no to him. And I just thought, like, that's such a bummer to be with someone that you have to say no to every day, especially your lead actor. It's a fucking awful situation to be in. And then and, and then this person just not even to, like, you know, it sounds like he has, like, I don't know, like some form of, of acting dementia where he can't <laughs> he is in the character and – he he'd be punching stunt people, um, yeah, very very interesting. Uh, and look, it's all hearsay, but it's believable, especially when you kind of lose the right to to uh, of presumed innocence when you're at QAnon meetings, uh, quoting fucking William Wallace. Yeah, he. It sucks too because it, to your point, like I love. Uh, like frequency and i really like he made that one movie with robert Harmon that was almost like the hitcher pseudo sequel called highway men um so like he did stuff that i really liked but yeah he frequency just, is kind of a weird you know bookend movie with this too it, it's similar yeah. stuff um and yeah i my wife and i both love frequency it's a great movie what can you do uh, though to bring yeah what, what can you do even <laughs> dennis hopper went maga in the end so like uh to bring it back to to deja vu a little bit um yeah, good 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 call <laughs> i do find i did kind of find fascinating uh especially now knowing that the movie was written before 9-11 is that there still is mission uh, there's still 9-11 um uh and war on terror like imagery and and uh let's say um, iconic uh, stuff kind of, of woven in there because like at one point the, the other thing that struck me to your nine 11 point is that it's like the victims, it becomes about how like the victims of this terrorism attack don't matter as long as they catch somebody because the movie takes that narrative turn to where they more or less just have Caviezel. They're like, all right, it's done. And Denzel is the one who pushes it. And he's like, well, we got to say we got to like basically solve this girl's murder. Like we, you know, he, she was killed. And they're like Val Kilmer even says to him straight up when they, they're like, no, it's done. We have him, you know, case closed. Val Kilmer goes mission accomplished. Right. And I'm just like, wait, I see what you fucking did there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, but again, it, it feels slightly updated for post nine 11 because it becomes about how like, you know, as long as the government got their man, 
you know, in the in this case, I guess Osama bin Laden. If you're making the one the one to one comparison or winning the the war on on terror over in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, is that it's like, you know, they didn't care about the actual victims of 9/11. It was all about just just getting their guy and waging this war, and that's sort of an interesting spin on the vertigo narrative. Um, but again, I just wish they had done a little more with it in that final third, because as, as entertaining as I think it is, it just kind of becomes a, a standard, you know, mid 2000s action movie just shot by, you know, the greatest, the guy to the greatest dude to ever shoot action. So, um, yeah, know. no, I mean, I mean, they, they, I, what I meant to say is that they, they came up with the concept before. Sure. 9-11 but obviously i mean i think they yeah the, the the real bulk of the writing it looks like was in 2004 and then okay. uh even tony uh, i there's some quotes in the wikipedia that um uh rossio was not happy with tony and um he had quit at one point and then denzel talked him into coming back and then uh um after they had done another pass on the script that was even better and um, Tony said he'd come back on one condition if he could bring his own writers. So Rossio says uh, that Tony Scott was the, the wrong man for this movie. He was the wrong guy. It's just uh, – it's crazy. Um, but, yeah, I think – so I, I think obviously they put in all, all of that context and, and all that, that kind of wordplay and, 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 and the more relevant stuff afterwards. But I think what, what the, the general idea of the, the – you know, uh, the, a detective with this, you know, time window in the past falling in love with his victim was the um, was the kind of like, aha, we have something here. Yeah. I do really like the ending, though. I like that it's kind of a weird twist on the the 12 monkeys ending. It's almost like the positive spin on it. Yes. Yeah. She, it, you know, she sees him come in and then it's like, oh, well, the future is changed now, you know? Yeah, no. And, th and that was one of the things that I had forgotten, too, from not having seen it since when I, I think when I first got the, that DVD and watched it a bunch of times over. I was like, I couldn't remember how, which how, how he died and when he died and, and 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 how many clues of like how many times this time loop went on. Yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, you've got there, there's a there's there's a there's another loop in the middle of the loop we're watching, right. um, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and yeah, like the, he, he basically in the middle of it, he got halfway successful and we don't get to see that loop, uh, which you kind of only gets revealed until at, uh, pretty much the very end. But uh, once you see him stealing the hospital uh sorry the ambulance you're kind of like wait a minute this is this has happened already because that you know you saw the blown up um Caviezel's bayou farm or whatever that was yeah which we haven't even hit on i mean it's a brief thing so it's not like a you know huge thing but man i love at the end of the the hummer chase um when he has to go into Caviezel's like weird swamp layer and uh he but he basically has to wear like a proton pack <laughs> to keep like the 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 view 
into the past going through his weird like VR goggles. That whole like rig is so bizarre looking. Um, but it just it made me giggle when when they're like, yeah, you gotta you gotta carry the backpack in order to, for the battery to hold up. And it's like he's just lugging this thing around. I'm like, I remember thinking at first, being like, dude, if you have to get into like a fist fight or something, that that's not gonna be the best thing to wear. Like, <laughs> mobility doesn't look at the, like that backpack's highest priority. I like that scene, the whole the whole little bit of like. He he pours all the gasoline on him. Then the guy wakes up. Then he shoots him. They, they even talk about it afterwards. He's like, yeah, I thought it would be mean. I shot him. I did him a favor. It was like it's such a weird little detail within where if you're trying to make this guy seem like such a bad guy, why not light him on fire? But he doesn't. I don't know. It, it was just, just appreciated it. I also think like obviously it's better for the the drama of the scene. And the 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 uh, uh, the the script works perfectly of like you have to witness the murder itself. But I also had the thought where I was like, it's kind of cruel that Denzel's like, oh man, like couldn't they just hear the gunshot? <laughs> like, did he have to make the entire tech squad just witness this dude get shot in the face and then burned alive? No, he, like, no, because they're recording it. So yeah, he needs they're recording everything. So that yeah, he, but I yeah that look that should be a gif on Twitter when you see someone about to kill someone and you could just say brace yourself you're about to witness yeah. murder <laughs> murder yeah, it's it's totally uh, nuts that I I was just like yeah it's really mean of Denzel's character is like I know we got to record this but maybe look away I don't know because <laughs> well, he, he can't see it because so, the camera's broken at that time. Yeah. So he's just kind of like he 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 knows what happened, but it is like it is such a great thing. And when you're when you're struggling in your script to like connect these sequences and make moments, and whether it's on the page or or something you find when you're in production, but like there's little things that they get to these beats where you know Denzel's car spins in front of Caviezel's and he's staring right at him. And in the background, you see a fucking Mack truck coming right for him. And he's just like, he's frozen in that moment. Like, I see him. I've got him. Ah, it's just like, when, you know, I, I can't say I've ever gotten to moments like that. But it is those things where it's like they, they, they milked it not just on the spectacle scale. You've got this character moment. And it tells you so much about Denzel that he's like, gonna stay looking at this guy and he he's finally got his man and he sees that truck coming and he kind of lets it hit him um truck fucking creams that hummer too yeah yeah (laughs) it is a hell of a practical hit it is and i was just watching with my wife the uh um the the hawkeye show which we're enjoying it's great but they're they have a similar type shot where the cameras they, they did a wonder in the car and i was like oh that's a cg car swerving out of the way you know you could tell um (laughs) i'm sure there's way more visual effects in in deja vu i don't want to be one of those guys i'm sure there's a ton that we're not uh noticing there's definitely uh i think that he he he's not shy about just like leaving the the filming cameras on the helicopters in those scenes, but then I also was justifying it story-wise that it's about filming everything in the surveillance state. It didn't bother me. 
Well, it's also what's great. I did the same thing when we just watched Unstoppable uh, because there's all those scenes where, like, you can tell it's the the, the choppers flying around the, the train are the ones that he's using for also, like, the aerial stuff and whatever because they have cameras on them and stuff. But you could explain it away, too, of being like, oh, those are the news choppers. And, like, he's including them in the shots and stuff. And you're just like – what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's so fucking crazy that he. You can just watch him, like again, nine camera Tony sitting there and being like, "Oh yeah, this all has to be there." So don't worry, I'll figure it out later. <laughs> that, it's a little bit like I always said that like other people try to do it, and I and it and it usually jumps for me, but for whatever reason, it doesn't for me. Like he does a lot of temple displacement. Like time does not work in a linear way in a Tony Scott movie a lot of the times even within scenes um you know you'll you'll go from um you know like a medium wide on, on Denzel's axis into like a medium's close up that like you know they kind of tell you not to do that um from the rule book of like oh you cut to the other side and then you can get into the close up when you come back you don't don't like jump on the same line you know and he's doing that constantly um, even, even uh, another little thing that I love that he does, like at the very end, Paula Patton, when they pull her from the water and she's like just screaming and crying and she's able to go so big, but because it's sort of MOS and you don't have to hear the dialogue, you're just getting swept up in the emotion. And there's a, there's a couple other movies and directors that are, that do this type of style that just don't quite hit the same way. Um, and especially I feel like it doesn't work when you're doing it with like martial arts. It usually bugs the shit out of me because it's some of the point of martial arts is that I want to see the cause and effect and the connection of the two people happening. Um, but when you're doing a car chase um, and you're doing, you know, Tony Scott, how he's like moving through time with these people, he's doing a procedural investigation. It's like you can get to Denzel on the screen his reaction, you know, all of a sudden you're on this dolly across the whole room and it's it feels like it's been an hour later, but has it? I don't know. And then you're you're in on the fingers doing the controls and it's just constantly kind of in motion. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but I was just I just kind of get swept up away of like, how does he do it? I, I don't really know. Um, I, I've never really tried to broach something that was so kind of. um uh, outside of the kind of linear time that he does. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to try to like, you know, watch it and, and, and kind of break it down and try to understand how it works on like the shot to shot basis. For some real weird reason, while I was revisiting a bunch of the stuff for the episode, I kept thinking about that moment in, uh Steve Jobs, the the Danny Boyle film that that Sorkin wrote for him, um, where you have uh, Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, and uh, um, Seth Rogen's, uh, I believe he plays uh, Wozniak, and they're literally in a a orchestra pit talking and. He says to him, you know, Steve Jobs says to, to Wozniak at one point, you know, you play an instrument. You sit in these rows. I'm the conductor. I'm the guy who plays the orchestra. 
And I kept thinking about that in terms of Tony Scott, of just this guy who is sitting there with all of these instruments playing around him and, and some of the greatest craftspeople and technicians all working, you know, for these top dollar movies that Bruckheimer's making. And he really is. He's the conductor. He's the one playing the orchestra the whole time because he sees it in his head in a way that we don't. Or he hear, I guess if you're doing the one-to-one comparison, is like he hears the song that we don't hear. Like that when you're playing the violin, you just hear the violin. But he hears the violin and the oboe and the, you know, the, the cello across the room and the stand-up bass. And it all comes together in a way that we'll never understand because we're just, we're not geniuses. Yes, absolutely. But before but- I let you go... Uh, why don't you tell us what are you doing now? You have a new podcast. I do. I do. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm doing a podcast with, uh, on, on the Atkins undisputed feed, but we're kind of a, a separate entity called, uh, action for everyone. Um, with Michael Scott, AKA Hibachi justice on Twitter and, uh, the immortal vice victus, um, who is uh, another must follow on Twitter as well. And I just basically wanted to do something that was, um, you know, like uh, a, a hangout pod uh, where just three dudes uh, or, or, you know, any dude, <laughs> male or female, is, we, we want to actually start having guests, but uh, I, I, I don't want to really book people because, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, I don't want it to become homework to me. It's, it's really is just like, uh, I spend an hour talking with buddies about um, action movies, action news, whatever we're kind of feeling about, but kind of keeping it to the action genre uh, because I feel like horror movies and uh, are, are so have such a strong community. And I'd really like to see something like that for more uh, around, you know, action specifically DTV action. And, uh, and I thought Mike was doing such a great job with the Atkins uh, Undisputed podcast that it was a he's the perfect person to kind of like, you know, uh, work on this project with. But, um, yeah, we'll have to get you on. Again, I don't like booking, uh, but, we'll, but we will figure out a time and uh, and just riff on, on, on whatever uh, new release is coming out that week. We don't even want to do a deep dives or anything like that. It's just like, you know, uh, um, Last week, we just talked about some of our favorite action movies of the year. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about Scott Atkins and Dolph Lundgren's uh, new movie, Castle Falls, and uh, whatever. Spoil anything whatever. for your podcast, but is Castle Falls good? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Ah, I've, okay. I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard solid. I've heard solid. It looks, it looks solid. You know, it definitely um, looks like it's- it was – budgetarily restricted but, but don't directed that right yes yes yeah i'm excited i'm gonna watch it he's a muscular man and a muscular director so it demands our attention yeah he's also like martin uh, my co-host's idol so <laughs> well you know he is a renaissance man i remember always people saying like people think dolph lundgren is fucking drago from you know, Rocky four, but this guy is, is accomplished uh, a shit ton in his life. And, uh, in, in his native language, you know, he obviously sounds quite different. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it's it's not surprising to me that he's had this uh, successful directing career um, and, and making a lot of cool movies. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Good. Well, everybody's gonna have. Are you guys ever gonna have your own Twitter feed or anything? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I again, it's, it's. I, I have no uh, aspirations for it other than I felt like, you know, it would be nice on for me to be able to listen to like just a, an action pod that's that's like a hangout pod once a week. And so I, I couldn't really find exactly what I wanted, so I figured we should just do it. Um, so yeah, it's we're, we'll always be at the Atkins Undisputed adjacent podcast, uh, whether we get a new feed or not. But because Mike has to do all that technical work, I, I don't really kind of uh, have an opinion either way. Sure. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, anytime. It's always uh, it's always fun. I always feel like we we kind of I don't know have some sort of uh, rapport, like we both. Uh, went to high school together or something even though we've never actually met in person yeah it's a lot of fun <laughs> absolutely and um yeah man anytime uh and then we'll, we'll have to we'll have to catch up on the other pod and and uh anytime you want to talk action uh i'm here i'm down